0: Please visit gurusing.com. Bless you. Sat-nam. Sat-nam. Satnam. There are cycles in the universe that are far different, but similar. But different in size, but similar in and its cyclical nature to the seasons on the earth, to the days and nights on the earth. And these cycles, these universal cycles intensify when it's time for what's called a sublimation to take place. Examples of sublimation is when water turns to gas when ice turns to water. That's a sublimation using calories, caloric heat. There's also sublimations when solid ground turns to mush in earthquakes, where just solid ground just collapses away. And these sublimations are moments in which a tremendous amount of energy is focused into a single point in a single moment. The measurement in Celsius is that it takes one calorie of heat to raise one gram of water, one degree Celsius. It takes one calorie of heat to raise one gram of water, one degree Celsius until it reaches the point of sublimation, which is 99 degrees Celsius. Because 100 degrees Celsius is water is is now gas. It's it's transformed, It's, it's sublimated into gas. That one degree that's required to raise one gram, one degree, that one amount of heat, now becomes 584, so it's 1 to 584. That's the increase in that moment. It takes 584 calories to raise one gram of water from 99 degrees to 100 degrees, where it's turned into gas. So a sublimation point is a violent point. Violent me in terms of just Quantities of energy thrust through the same focal point. So if you're used to a particular amount of energy flowing through your system, when the overall system reaches the point of sublimation, your norm is completely disrupted. That's what we're going through right now. And just like when there's suddenly a gust of wind, if you're out in an ocean where wind is going to actually have an effect upon you, and there's suddenly a gust of wind, imagine a gust of wind that was 584 times faster than the wind that you're normally used to. So in a sublimation point, use mixing metaphors here, In that norm, if your sails are not prepared for the new gust, what happens to you is very violent. Now because gusts come up in a moment, but the universe moves through universal moments which are much longer, fortunately, The bell curve of this change is over a period of years. Could even be over a period of centuries, but that's so slow we can't measure it. But we can measure the effects upon the norm over a period of years. And usually points of evolution, which have sublimations in order for transformation to take place, are accompanied by the downside of what's happening in the polarity because for every action, there's a reaction. Now, the reaction to human lack of evolution is global climate change, which, by the way, I used to speak about this five, ten years ago, and I'd say, deep science is saying, and now it's not even deep science. Surface science is saying that we've currently reached a point of no return. That we've triggered a series of events that have no reversal, have no capacity to reverse them. And in a co- to accompany that, there's an evolutionary shift, a sublimation. Now you're listening, your, your sails are set, so you're able to hear that sublimation, you're able to hear the forces of that sublimation and respond by setting yourself in an alignment in which you can achieve it. Anybody notice a little more anger lately? (laughs) And that's because it's saying you have to even increase your attunement. Because the wise use of anger is determination. And determination means that you can't be deterred. And your anger should not be mitigated. It should not be repressed. It shouldn't even be managed. Stoke that sucker. And then ride that wave of time to the top of the mountain where you can see a greater distance into the future and know the pathway. Because if you start trying to repress your anger in this moment, you're gonna get swallowed by the wave of time. Anger in this moment is a valuable tool. You just have to use it and not let it use you. You have to Use it to get up earlier. You have to use it to do more asana. You have to use it to chant more deeply. You have to use it. One time I was like so, so furious. I was like 25 years old and I came into class and I was just fuming. And Yogi Bhajan said, Guru Singh, come here. And I came up, and I was just like, there was just like flames shooting out of every hole. And he said, as softly as he could, go outside and sit down, and let it cool down, and don't stand up until it does. That made me even angrier. But I followed his directions. And I went outside, not just outside the room, I went outside. And I sat down on the sidewalk. And people were coming into class, you know, and they were looking at me like, what's wrong with him? (laughs) And I was just sitting there like this. And I swear to God, if anybody had said anything, (laughs) it might have been their last words. So I just sat there. And I sat there, and I sat there. And pretty soon, it started to get a rhythm, whereas before it was quite chaotic, and it started to get a rhythm. And once it started to get a rhythm, it started to have a pulsation. And now I could see, ah, my liver was tuning to my heart. So the raging fire of my liver was starting to tune to the pulse of my heart. And that meant it had crossed the barrier of the diaphragm and the solar plexus, which is where all of your unresolved issues are sitting rooted in that subconscious. And those unresolved issues don't have to be resolved intellectually. Oh, let me see, that was what my dad did. did. No, no. That's like, that's like the long way around that'll take you another 20,000 lifetimes. What you're doing is you're just flying through space time, right, you're just flying through space time. So all of a sudden I started to get that synchronicity between my liver rage, or my liver heat, which is translated into rage emotionally, and my heart, so passion into communication. So it was becoming passion, was becoming compassion. And so as that started to bridge, as that started to work itself together, I started to feel like, all right, this is what he was talking about. So I stood up and I walked back into class. And I sat down. And he looked at me across the room and he winked. And there was like a million lifetimes in that wink of information. And after class he asked me to drive him home and I knew it was just his way of getting a chance to chat with me. And so as I was driving him home, he said, Guru Singh, this is what the yogis would call riding the... and then he said blank. He said, you would fill in the blank depending upon what era you were in. He said in the earliest, in the earliest, it was riding mythical characters, right? A dragon, and they had other names for it, right? Riding the sword of Shiva, you know, whatever it was. It was just all mythology. Then eventually it became riding the wild horse. And if you check your deep meditative resources, you find that, every culture that ever had either mythological characters of great speed and capacity or physical characters of great speed and capacity, um, they would say that this practice was to ride that, to ride the, the rogue elephant hmm? in, ancient, in ancient India, and to ride the lion, hmm? to ride the tiger, But what it is, it's riding that rage until that rage is no longer being blocked by your solar plexus. It's no longer being blocked by that unresolved issues that are contained within your emotional body. And once you have cleared psychically and psycho-emotionally, that rage that sits in your solar plexus, Then your liver heat connects to your heart, and you have entered the realm of compassion. And in that realm of compassion comes all of its relatives. Compassion is related to understanding. Compassion and understanding together are related to solution, are related to answer, which is the same as solution. And the way it actually then starts to work in your body is that this anger is now put in instead of being locked here and if it's locked here in your liver and it's blocked if it's locked here and blocked here locked here in your liver and blocked here then your body is going to torque your body is going to torque in different directions and that torquing of your body takes place primarily, the way it's translated throughout your body is in the myofascia, in the fascia of your body, that, that, that network, that netting that travels throughout your body and encompasses every bone, every muscle group, every gland, every organ in a separate packaging. But there are also there are also sheets of this, uh, this myofascia that moves through your entire body. You can look online and you can see people have diagrammed this. And what you do in your asanas, because here's what happens. Anger and determination shifts the fascia. right? And it'll shift it until it res- until you are able to completely utilize it. So it'll, it'll distort your body, and your body will be distorted into a posture. Now that posture is supporting the anger. So you can't get out of the anger. You can think your way out of it. You can storytell your way out of it. You can do all of this, but it's right there waiting to come back. It's not gone. And so that's why a physical routine of asanas in which you are actually taking your posture which would normally be and you won't even notice how slightly you're distorted. It could be a matter of just a degree or two. Your spine is just and if you go to a chiropractor that uses NET right uh, what is it, neuroemotional, th- neuro-emotional therapy? Hmm? They will put you on two scales to, we- to weigh you. And they will add the combination of the two scales, two identically calibrated scales. Because if your body is torqued, you will have a different weight on the two scales. So let's say you weigh 170 pounds. Let's make it easier. Let's say you weigh 180 pounds. 180 pounds, you should be 90 pounds on your right leg and 90 pounds on your left. Let's say you weigh 120, you should be 60 pounds on your right leg and 60 pounds on your left if you're, if you're completely balanced. But you stand on the scale and you're not 60 and 60, you're 70 and 50 or you're 75 and 45 and, and the more you are out of balance on the scales, the more your myofascia is torquing you the more your myofascia is torquing you, and you've gotten so used to it that you wear your shoes down differently. Everybody, anybody ever seen that? That you wear your shoes down differently? That means that you're not in balance. That means that you, you know, what is it they say? 10,000 steps a day? In your 10,000 steps a day, not only are you wearing the soles and heels of your shoe down differently, but you're wearing all of the cartilage down differently in your knees, and every other joint that's operating in your walking mechanism. You're also wearing the, the you're also wearing the cartilage in your spine down, the discs in your spine down differently. Right? So as you're as you're in that awkward position, which is not visible to you because it's just like anything. You see what you're used to. And what you're used to seems normal to you. So if you're if you're slightly off or slightly off, or slightly off, whichever way it is, or your feet are turning out, and you're walking like this, but you're not walking like this, you're walking ever so slightly like this, or one foot is turned out, then you're not going where you're going, because your feet represent your direction. Your ankles represent your momentum. Your lower legs represent your standards. You have a double standard. Everybody does. You have the tibia and the fibula. The tibia is the, is the bone, the larger bone, the one that's slightly up front. The tibia are the standards you brought with you, with your incarnation into this lifetime. The fibula, the smaller bone, are the standards that are being applied to you by your genetic path, by your ancestry. And it will also be mimicked by the people around you. They will pick up on the frequency of your fibula, and they're going to impress on you in a slightly lesser degree than your genetic ancestry. And this is how you, you're in this mechanism. How are you going to deal with this mechanism if you're being controlled by all these factors? By having will. Where is the will located? In the heart. You put your heart into, what is the heart in Latin and French? It's core, it's called courage, courage. You put your courage into it, you put your will into it. And now this time on earth is being fueled by so much, so much of sublimation energy that everybody is enraged and those that are tweaking in the way of thinking it's somebody else's fault, voted for the winner this time around. And those that are thinking that this is all of our doing and we need to get rid of it and do it together, voted for the loser this time around. Now this time around it's interesting because the winner in this last event, this last political event, is a catastrophic winner. Because all of the progress that we struggled and made over the last few years. You know what they say, Rome wasn't built in a day, but it can be destroyed in a day. And how does that make you feel? It makes you feel angry. And that's good, because if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Then what are you going to do with that anger? because it's pure fuel and it's massive right now which means that we have a massive amount of fuel to create a massive amount of change to create sublimation but understand that in this in this game of forces what happens the, the most you can have is equal to the opposition. The most energy you can have is equal to the opposition. What happens if you apply equal to the opposition, force to the opposition? What happens? Balance. Yeah, nothing happens. Nothing happens. And so it's up to us to be really, really, really wise, really intuitive. And so, in your rage, bolt, as he said to me, bolt your butt to the floor and sit there until the doors open. And the doors that he is talking about, and the doors that all of the great masters talked about, are the doors of awareness. The doors in which you realize that which has never been realized before. Because if you want to change what you've always gotten, you can't be doing what you've always done. And it will not be about more capital. Although we will use capital and ultimately we will be the ones that are controlling capital. Because that's the outcome. I have seen the future. Because what is capital? What does it say on capital? What does it say? It says trust, doesn't it? And every traditional capital store, which were called banks, were called savings and trust, da-da-da-da-trust. If you wanted to put your capital into something because you didn't trust anybody, you put it into a trust, (laughs) And then if you, don't, if you don't believe anybody's going to take care of you while you're still alive, you create what's called a living trust. <laughs> it's all because you don't trust. What is capital? Capital is a mechanism of trust. I give you a banana. You give me a dollar. You eat the banana. What the f- am I supposed to do with the dollar? Buy something. But I can only buy something with it if people trust it. So we have just exchanged trust. That's what capital is. And so ultimately, capital will be controlled by the hands of those who are in the most trust. And one thing that Yogi Bhajan said is never say, I don't trust anybody. Always say, I trust so-and-so to be a thief. Or I trust so-and-so to be very benevolent. Because your trust is your awareness. It's not anything else. And so what you want to do is in these times of great challenge. And believe me, unfortunately, none of us wanted to see this. But every one of us was too damn lazy to avoid it. Because collectively, we could have avoided this, but we have, been, we have been inching and even less than inching our way towards solution. And it is not a solution. So it appears that we are going to have to have disaster in order to get to solution. Because we all as conscious human beings wanted a nice smooth growth curve but we were moving too slow. These incremental mechanisms were going to put us to sleep thinking we were doing something right. But we weren't. We were just doing something wrong more rapidly or more slowly, whichever way you want to look at it, than was necessary. So now we're going to really speed up the doing something wrong. So that it gets to that, it's totally broken really quickly. And that's a horrible way, it's like, have you ever gotten woken up and you're like two minutes before the plane, you know, and it's like, Yeah, And you're driving and running. You're running trying to get through security and nobody will move. (laughs) When we were coming back from India, it was all on the same airline. I have no idea how they figure this one out. But we land after 13 and a half hours in the air coming over the North Pole. We land in Vancouver at 8.45. And our flight to Los Angeles from Vancouver was at 8, excuse me, at 7.45. And our flight to LA was at 8.25. What is that? That's 40 minutes later. And we had to go from one end of the terminal to the other. And it's a long walk. And then we had to go through security again. Really? We just got on an airplane and flew for thirteen and a half hours. We're pretty secure. You want to put us through this again? You know, take off your shoes, get your computer out, and then we had to go through customs. Because U.S., you go through customs in, in Canada, and you and I kept saying to people in line, I kept saying, "We've got a plane in thirteen minutes. <laughs> We've got a plane in thirteen minutes." And they would let us up, you know, one at a time. We got a plane in thirteen. We've got a plane in thirteen minutes. We've <laughs> got a plane in thirteen minutes, and they let us up, and they let us up, and they let us up until we got to U.S. Customs. And then it was, everybody stay exactly where you are in line, right? Which is like the U.S. Customs does, you know. It's like so anyway. Um, as we were coming to the airplane, they were like holding the door open. And then, as we got on board the plane, everybody claps on the plane, and I was like, oh. "It's like we can finally go." You got here, so this weird little story I just told you <laughs> is where we're at on Mother Earth. We're in a rush, and in order to have energy for the rush. Your liver is super active. So if you're feeling a little angry, thank God. Because please, don't get rid of it. Use it. Channel it. Set your sails. Because it's universal anger. Let's not try to personify it. It's not God is angry. No, no. It's the universe is torquing. The cosmos is shifting. The need is for sublimation. Light travels as particle. And particle is invisible. And when you observe, it becomes wave because wave is visible. And so, Light can be everywhere, and information is held in light. And so information, when assembled, becomes idea, becomes concept, becomes cure, becomes answer, becomes solution. Or in chaos, it just becomes more problematic, Hmm? information. And information is held in light, And when you assemble the parts of light, you assemble the parts of a solution or an answer or a cure or a remedy or a healing. But it's invisible until it's observed. So the more light you have the capacity of observing, the more chance you have of achieving a result of solution, cure, healing, whatever that might be. Is that clear? So what we're doing in this kriya is we're increasing our ability to absorb light through all the various ways in which the human body absorbs light. Not only absorbs, but observes. Because when you observe it, it is no longer invisible. It's everywhere, but it's invisible. So that's the science in this kriya. The quote from Yogi Bhajan in this Kriya is, the angle of your anger of the moment, excuse me, of the present moment. The angle of your anger of the present moment is your degree of awareness to the moment. Your angle of anger of the present moment is your degree of awareness to the moment. Now, anger is translated as an emotion, but what anger really is is just liver heat. And liver heat needs to be used to break down the blockage in your diaphragm, in your subconscious, at the solar plexus, in order to radiate through into your heart. Because until it breaks this down, and liver heat is the only thing that can break this down, that's why you have what's called fire in the belly, is that when it breaks this blockage down, it moves up through. And the only way it breaks it down is if we sit with it. If you act with it, it just ricochets off your diaphragm, back into your survival glands and organs, and you're just angry building, anger building, angry building, anger building, angry building, anger. So when people say, you know, you got, you gotta, I gotta act out of my anger, you know? You just say, no, actually you've got to sit down and just bolt your butt to the floor and let your anger. Okay, then it says, then he says, the response is either awakening or devastating. If you are able to take that increase in heat, that increase in fire, and accept it into your heart. It's an awakening. Your heart wakens, your throat wakens, your third eye, and it just boom, 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 all the way up through the chakras. It's not quite like that, but it's, I thought I'd just give that little boom, boom, boom. Hmm? If you don't, if you if you go into deeper angst, which is what the voting majority did so they tell us because <laughs> you know stalin said it doesn't matter who votes it matters who counts the votes so anyway that aside because you know we're not going to we're not going to beat our head we're not don quixote here we're not going to beat our head against that windmill but if you hold here if that angst is remaining in your going to use it, you know, as a means of force, then it gets very powerful in that way. So what we have to do is we have to be as open as they are closed. And what we will come up with, and we don't know what they are yet. We have no idea what they are, but we've seen the future and we know we get there. these magnanimous, magnificent solutions that sweep those poor people who have been swept up by this chaos, sweep them into the arms of loving embrace. And that orphan child that controlled the vote finds a loving embrace to give up its, what he calls, devastation. And we've got about 35 years now to do it. This is not a short haul. We got 35 years to do this. And you've got to give yourself that kind of time, because otherwise what we're going to be looking at over the next few years is going to feel so devastating that you're going to feel that it's all over. But there's a lot of capacity here. The pelvic bowl, which is your concept of life, it's where you're conceived. And so it contains your basic idea of what life means of what life means and of what your life means. That's what concept of life is. So that's what your pelvic bowl has. And out of your pelvic bowl, you have three main channels, two legs and a spine. And your two legs, your left leg is your left feminine receptive, that's your intention. And your right leg is your right masculine projective and that's your motivation. So your intention and your motivation need to be balanced with your concept. And then you add to that your higher awareness, which is inspiration, which means in spirit. And you add to that that inspiration. And what ends up happening is that you have this incredible trilogy, which is the Father, Son and the Holy Ghost. But it's not really the Father, Son and the Holy Ghost. It's the mother and the father the mother and the father and the Holy Spirit, right? But they wiped out the mother because, you know, it was a patriarchy, so had to be all men. I always thought, gee, I wonder if the spirit's feminine, because, you know, <laughs> as a small child, you'd hear Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and I thought, where's mom? But that's it. The in, the, so the intention is feminine, motivation is masculine, and this is spirit. And that's what you are based on. So as we get into, in a moment we'll get into the Kriya. And the Kriya is all about the pelvic bowl and the balance within that pelvic bowl. These three channels are always balancing. And what do most people do with that pelvic bowl? Most people lie down, right? They sleep, they get up, they sit in a chair, Hmm? and they eat. Then they get up and they walk to their car and they sit in a chair and they drive. And then they get up and they walk to wherever they work and they sit in a chair, maybe, you know, often, right? Sit in a chair. And then they get up and then they walk to their car and they sit in a chair. And then they get home and they get up and they walk to the couch and they sit in a chair and they watch somebody else's idea of what happened in the day. And then they have some more poison, right? (laughs) Food that isn't food. And then they get up, and then they are just exhausted. And they go and they lay down. Insecurity becomes aggressive. And that's why your body is set up the way it is, and that's what's been happening ever since you stood up the head has become insecure because it receives blood less easily than the rest of your body does. So when the head is insecure, it stimulates brain activity because insecurity becomes aggressive. And that was the trick that evolution played on the human form. So we're dominated by this brain activity, but the heart is right next to itself. and. It is the heart giving blood back to the heart that is the key. As a matter of fact, bypass surgery is not about the blood going to the body. Bypass surgery is about the blood going back to the heart. The arteries that they they exchange for new arteries are the arteries of the heart feeding itself, because that is so lacking in the world of human psyche the normal human psyche. So what you have to do is you have to use your rage to eat away your blockage, to feed that heart, to resolve the rage, because it's being used. And that's where anger becomes determination, which cannot be deterred, because the heart will Cannot be deterred. Anybody that has enough heart will will prevail. And that's who we are moving forward. Deal yeah. Satnam. Bless you for joining us. Visit Gurusing.com for an ever expanding archive of lectures, videos, yoga sets, meditations, and more.